0: Okay, well, first of all, I want to thank all of you for your prayers and your support, and you uh, enable us to do what we do, and we, I really, we really appreciate uh, your prayers and your support. Uh, we're an extension of Grace Christian Fellowship, and uh, we partner together in the gospel and um, in the Great Commission. Uh, today... Uh, I'd like to tell a bit more of my story and the story of CPI, um, some of what I'll show, maybe I've showed before, and there'll be some new things, and I want to ask for your prayers about certain certain things, which I'll mention, and um, so uh, <clears throat> I want to just share how we were called just a, just a bit. Greg shared some of it. But um, I was saved in 72 and went back to, in Seattle, Washington, went back to to uh, Ohio and uh, joined, uh, found the Christians in Bowling Green and they were called the fellowship. And then Greg came along later and we, we got to know one another. And, Catherine was already there in the fellowship, probably from the beginning of the fellowship. And so, um, so then um, in 76, I went, I went out to California to Melody Land School of Theology. I met Christy, my wife. By the way, Christy sends her greetings and her love to you. I was supposed to mention that. I'm glad I remembered. She, she actually asked me if I mentioned, and if I didn't, I, I feel bad. So I did mention it, so great. Yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. So I met her in about 77, and um, in 77, I was going down to Mexico, Mexicali, to share the gospel, Um, and I kept going back and forth, and um, I just, people were so receptive, unlike in the United States, I was, I was in a witnessing ministry, street, street evangelism in the United States, such a difference. And um, it just got in my blood. And I was, I just wanted to follow Jesus. And and then so um, in, in 77, in 77, I was going back and forth. 78, we got married, Christy and I got married uh, in, in, uh, 1980, I was, after being married, still going down, and, um, this missionary who was part of the Foursquare had this big mission compound, said, I'll give you this space if you want to come down and not charge your rent, just, you know, help clean the place up and get ready for groups. They weren't my groups, they were other groups, and, cut the grass, they had it irrigated, it was just the desert, and uh, so, boy, that, that excited me, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't think, well, I don't have any support, I was painting houses, and uh, anyway, it, I just felt like if I were to go, there's such a need here, and there is hardly anyone to meet this need. And surely God's going to provide for my needs. That's kind of how I thought. I wasn't it wasn't like I was doing positive confession or, or, or anything like that. I I just was convinced of that, and I didn't think I was being radical or anything like that. Now I'm a mission director, and if somebody came to me and said they had no support, I'd probably try to steer them differently. But anyway, uh, so um, I was all excited. That was. 1980, kind of in the fall, I come back, I tell Christy, I go, I-, I believe the Lord's calling us to to, to go down to Mexico and live down there, because I was thinking, w- w- if this happens on a weekend, like people coming, be wanting to hear the gospel, and so interested, and when are you coming back, and oh, I don't know, and where's your church, well, it's near Melody Land, near Disneyland in California, and Somebody's got to stay here with the, these people and follow up, and there needs to be a, a, a church here. And so, uh, so I, and so Christy wasn't you know, here. She was. Uh, we had uh, we had uh, one child at the time, and she wasn't completely thrilled uh, when I when I talked to her about it. But she was a very she was a good wife, and she just was convinced that she should go follow wherever I felt led to go to. And um, so I began to uh, tell my friends and all that, and they were excited for me. And then, that was in, that was in uh, uh, 1980, early 81, we discovered that Christy's pregnant with our second so she's pregnant with our second, and I've told all my friends. They're excited for us. And, and so um, I begin to go, man, what am I doing? You know, I have no financial support. My wife is pregnant. I'm going to take her down there. I'm just really. So I decide to go to our pastor. Now, this pastor is a four-square pastor like Assemblies of God. And um, he's a very conservative guy, level-headed, big church. And I, I think, you know, he's. I'm going I pray to the Lord. Have Him rebuke me. Have Him tell me, not not to go, if it's not Your will. Meanwhile, it's 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 really strong on my heart to go. I wanted to go, and um, so I go in there and I tell him all the negative things I could tell him. I said, I said, I said, listen, I, I've been going to Mexico. People are so open to the gospel. Um, I believe the Lord's calling me down there. But um, it's extremely hot down there, dusty. We have no support, and my wife is pregnant. However, I think that if we went, we could make a difference. And, and so he said, Steve, I think you should go as soon as possible. <laughs> and and before, you, before you change your mind and get distracted from this, you may never go if you don't go now. I go. And I almost, I was seated so I didn't fall down. (laughs) But I just couldn't believe that he said that to me. Why would he say that to me? So I come back and tell, Chris, you wouldn't believe what the pastor told me. And so then, um, but then our friends, they would say, you can't do this. Your wife is pregnant. At least wait till she gives birth and then go down. That makes sense. And so we did. We waited till Sam was born in September of 1981. And so we we put we give our landlord the notice. We were renting the house. We we put things in storage. We're gearing up to go. 1982 comes. Inconceivably, my wife is pregnant again. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and honestly, we we thought we were doing all the things that are supposed to be done to have that not happen. <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> so, uh, so there we were right back in the same situation. On, but, gee, we, we were all ready to go. Mm-hmm. So this time we went. And we had now we had $15 a month pledged to us, $15 a month. My wife was, again, she was thinking, well, the worst that would happen is that we're going to completely fail and not have any money, and we'll come back here. And so we went. And I just felt like God was gonna provide our needs. And, um, and so we went down in the spring of 1982. Um, and we had our prenatals in Mexico and came back for the birth, a home birth. Um, a friend's house and baby, uh, baby Josiah was born at that home and um and we, and we, we did see God provide for us. at first, there was a there was a a man that was called the lord's Ministries, and he was bringing a truck down for food for orphanages, and he stopped by and gave us food out of dented cans and and that type of thing and uh, and I, I we went down with four hundred dollars, and we, we had to remodel this place and. By then, I had we had it pretty much remodeled, but we we saw God provide for our needs as we went, and sometimes um, people would show up at our door, and there would be money, and and we would we had the PO box. This was a border town, crossing the border, and uh, there would be uh, people that we didn't know, and they would send us money and somehow they heard about it, and so we, we call it living by manna, and so we live by manna, and, and then as, and we saw two buildings built, and, and so even though, like I say, I, I don't know that I, now I'm a missions director of CPI, and I, we've had missionaries under us. As a responsible missions director, I don't, I don't really, wouldn't be in favor of people going out with no support, but I believe it was God's will for us. We saw the glory of God. We saw last minute, last second timing. I'll never forget it. But anyway, it strengthened my faith. And um, I thought, well, if I don't believe God can provide for my needs, what 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 message do I have to give these people? So this is what this is what we did, and I'm gonna just share some more of the story here, kind of the history, and, um, and some prayer requests as well. Um, I don't know whether we could get the lights. Would that be, would that be okay? Can we get these lights? Is that, is that easy to do? Yes. Yeah. Let me see if this works. It does work. What's that? Yeah. All right. So um, this is our mission to preach the gospel and train leaders and, and aid in, in the planting and strengthening and multiplying of churches. We do that through partnering, co-laboring with native church planters. And uh, so we do that through training and through um, mentoring and discipling relationships and through providing strategic resources like uh, when they travel to unreached villages, they need gasoline or they need to um, like pay the river taxi they go on a boat and pay their fare, so we we help with those kinds of things and and some sometimes some minimal support just enough, and they usually supplement it so that they can be in the ministry but or maybe they're going away, and there's no way of supporting themselves in in the community where they are because um, they Come from the, a jungle city, and they go out to a remote community and so we we help them while they 're out there so that's that's uh, we 're not about going and establishing ourselves in in the positions of ministry, but rather to aid the native missionaries and in, in what they do because they're the ones that stay there they 're the ones that are going to keep the work going they're to continue to preach the gospel they 're going to be the pastors of the churches and the, and that, and so that's that's our that's our vision and our mission. And you have these core values. I won't go into them because they're on that brochure that uh, you have, and um, it gives our vision and our core values, our ministries in that brochure. Um, and then this was this is us shortly after we got to this big missions compound. That's uh, Sarah and Sam after he was born in uh, September 81, and then us in March of 1982 coming to this compound there. And, uh, and this, is, this is what it's like in the deserts, is what, uh, Mexico. And we worked amongst extremely poor people, even people in the dump site, um, they would build their homes out of cardboard. They would have dirt floors. And when it did rain, everything just turned to mud, their bedding and everything. People just really, some of the poorest people in the world I've seen right on our border. And, um, and there's whole, like, almost cities of uh, buildings that are made of scraps. And, that, and this is some of the early ministry. I went around from what they call colonias, from one, one community to another, to another, to another, Uh, and hold meetings and there would be groups and one of them grew and that became uh, the beginnings of the church in Mexicali those are the that chapel was there on the left and um, it had no people and they just gave it over to us they were actually very glad The, the caretaker of it was so glad that, that we came because she had a building but no congregation. We had a congregation but no building. So then we built the building on the right and the building in the back. And um, that's the dedication of that. that as uh, in Mexicali. And, and uh, Greg was able to visit there as well. And, and, and you spoke there, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so then after that, um, well, after that, I continued to go down there, take groups and that. Um, but we I wanted to go into the interior, and there was people who came from the state called Nayarit, down there, where you see their tepeek mm-hmm. down there, and so they would come so many people would go to the border, and these people would say we well, 've never heard anything like this, and uh, no we, we 've never heard this message where we 're from mm-hmm. and so they were so receptive and I thought i wanted, wanted to go to tepeek, and there was a man who grew up in this town just outside of Tepeque, and he grew up there and he took me back there and we had an exploratory trip that was in 1993 and uh, there's some of the early meetings in Nayarit and that guy, his name is Jose Lopez and he um, he didn't know it at the time but he, he, he got, he was called to stay there, he and his wife and his Mexicali church went down and, and they felt he was called to stay there so he moved down there, he's still there with his wife and um, and ministering. All right, this thing is not responding. There we go. That's a dedic Well, no, that's a dedication of the Tepic, of the San Cayetano Church there in in Central West Mexico. There's the pastor. That was just couple, That was just a couple years ago when we were there. Christy and I, so pretty recently, Christ is the Way, Cristo es el Camino, Iglesia Evangelica, Cristo el Camino. And uh, so um, in 1998, uh, covenant, uh, co- uh, the fellowship, which eventually became Covenant Church, Bowling Green Covenant, was interested in unreached people groups, and I thought, well, maybe there's one where we we're already going in Mexico, so I looked at um, the list of Joshua Project, and lo and behold, the Wicholies are there, and they were considered an unreached people group. They're a large group, though. So there's like 40,000 of them, 300 um, uh, communities maybe, tucked away in the mountains, unbelievably remote, some of these communities. So um, in 98, I made my first trip to the Huicholis and found out that um, they didn't. there was no more Bibles. We'll get to that later. This is where they live. You live there um now so what happens is the battery kind of goes in and out with this thing nope hmm. oh. so what happened? They can do it happen am i going back yeah okay there we go all right okay yeah so yeah so this the road is well, they just recently paved it. It's amazing. After all these years last year and uh but basically unpaved. It's still hairpin turns, but it's paved. You can get there in a fraction of the time. But it used to be eight hours and then so it was uh, it's uh, when you get there the roads are full of rocks and after the People take the bus after it won't go any further, or you drive to where you can't drive anymore, and then people will walk, can walk for days, two or three days, to get to these communities that are tucked away. Sometimes two houses, or up and down ridges, and then you get to these places that are out in the middle of nowhere. What what opportunity do they have to hear the gospel? And so, um, that guy on the right, he, uh, and his wife, he. He, he would start out on Saturday walking to church and get to a place and spend the night and on Sunday morning walk the rest of the way to church, which was about maybe two hours, hour and a half maybe, up and down hills, an older man like that. And then he decides to move to this, this, this ranch. They call them ranchitos. He moved there, which is about an hour, hour and a half walk and, and, and so forth, where he would spend the night. And one year... Because I, I visit now every year. And uh, I said, oh, you live over there now. Now you're much closer to church. Oh, yeah, I'm real close to church now. It's very convenient for me. But he walks an hour and a half through the, through the <laughs> mountains to get there. Yeah, so um, that's what it's like there. And you know, this is some of the roads. And we still drive those roads uh, to baptize and that, so. Yeah, okay, so the people are animists and they're still shamans and they still do hallucinogens and peyotes. That guy on the right is a shaman and and he was ill and he said, uh, my religion has done nothing for me and, and he wanted to hear the gospel and he invited me to the house. He didn't want people to see that I had come because he, you know, that he's he has a lot of prestige, and he even makes money being a shaman. And so, so I came to his house and shared the gospel. And then he met us at the airport uh, airstrip, the airstrip in that village, and because uh, sometimes we flew in, and uh, and so we we shared with him some more. And uh, anyway, I don't know if he was converted or not converted. It's hard to know these things. Uh, coming in, and so these are the people there, they cook uh, with the wood, and they grind their own corn, and they eat a lot of corn, a a lot of what they eat is corn, just corn, but uh, then they have some things they grow, and uh, every now and then some chicken and and that, but um, this is the early service, so we we targeted uh, this village, and in the year 2000, I I went to this village, Called Guadalupe Ocotan, and um, oop. Yeah, well, anyway, that that the other picture was, uh, like I said, we discovered that there were no more Bibles. There had been a translation in the '60s, and there had been Bibles, but they were all nobody had Bibles left, and so we found uh, an old tattered copy, and so I figured somebody had the films or the plates for them. But I couldn't locate them, and so we had the bible scanned it's um the the new testament uh, uh, bilingual new testament Spanish wecho Mike, Mike yeah, there's Kilker there, yeah, that's right, and so whoop there, so that's that's the uh wecho it has nothing to do with Spanish and it's actually a tonal language later we did a project with the audio with uh solar. Uh, audio New Testament. We, we uh, partnered with another group, and they, they recorded the New Testament so they could listen to it on those <laughs> devices. And so that was our first big project was the Huichol New Testament. So this is uh, Domingo on my right. He was my very close friend. We worked so closely together, and um, we supported him. In the, in the fir- there were no churches when he started. This is a, was a big community, Guadalupe Cotan a um, couple thousand people with the different ranches, the satellite ranches, and there were no churches there at all. And so he, and he, 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 he was persecuted. They were persecuted. They're still being persecuted. They're threatened with expulsion, um, and uh, it's off and on persecution where they rise up and and uh, they want them out, or or um, they demand that they participate in their shamanistic uh, festivals by providing liquor. And so the Christians won't do it. And so well, we'll, we'll help in some other way. We'll serve in some other way. So anyway, so suddenly at the age of 38, he dies. And to my great sadness. And uh, so since 1915, 2015, we've been uh, looking for a pastor. I've been looking for a pastor. I thought we found one twice, but they didn't work out for one reason or another. And then um, about three years ago... Oh, this thing is not the greatest. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll get, I'll get closer to here. Maybe that will help some. Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, so um, what happened was that there began a, a outpouring of the Spirit on the youth, and there was there's an on-fire youth group there. And, and so one of the youth... Uh, at the age of about 19, we sent him down in the south and, to get trained, and he came back on fire for God, and he is now preaching the word in their language. Now, we're not calling him a pastor because he's so young, but later, I I, I hope that, I think he is, that's one of them, I would love to have prayers for, I'll, I'll show you um I have a picture of him, but his name is Eleon, and uh, uh, so I think he may well become the pastor. I, I mean, Spurgeon was a pastor at age like 17, and he's now 21 and something like 21, and so. Um, but the people respect them, and he's, he's. They need to hear the word in their language, and and for a while it was in Spanish because. The pastor's wife is not, we chose, so she only speaks Spanish, and they understand some Spanish, and some understand quite a bit, but, so anyway, we I, we go every year, and this is our last trip, and um, a couple people from the States, and then uh, Pastor Lennon on, uh, uh, on the top there in the middle, and his partner there, um, and uh, he goes sometimes when I'm not able to go, he goes Makes uh, another we so we try to visit at least two times a year or three times a year, and we do training workshops, especially since they haven't had a pastor teaching the foundations of the faith and teaching about preaching from the Scripture, from the Word of God, by by, by finding a text and making your message the message of that text, and uh, and and that. So, um, you no, know, and they visited and they. The the most needy people and brought food and prayed for people. This this is our group, and they uh, painted and did a children's ministry. And there's the pastor's widow cooking for the whole church in that giant kettle. Oh, all right. And then the women, (laughs) they dressed them up in their outfits. So that was kind of kind of neat. Uh, well, and then every night, every afternoon, evening, early evening, they would just come, and we would hold prayer and worship and teach every night. And um, and then this lady, this lady uh, is in one of those places with no churches, and so she walked five hours one one of the evenings to our gathering, and she wanted prayer. And then she just stayed, and she went to, the, uh, and then now they're going to their, uh, her village, and sharing the gospel. But she, it's a long way for her to come. But she has come, and so she stayed with them, and that's my coworker Lennon. He's praying for her, and this is Elian who's uh, teaching the word in their language. So okay, so now we're in Peru, 99, 1999, I went to Peru for the first time, and uh, you can see Lima down there at the bottom, and then in the middle, Pucarpa, which is a jungle city, and up north is is where the Matses are in the Amazon jungles, and I we I came for the Matses. That was how I got started there, um, and so they they had some existing churches. But um, this is where they live in, in the in the Amazon jungles. Amazon jungles, so different from the mountains, but even more remote than the mountains. As remote as the mountain villages are, the the jungles villages even more remote. the The, the rainforest is just seems limitless, and I do not believe it's vanishing, like they say. But it's just so vast in every direction. And uh, the big rivers become the tributaries the tributaries of the tributaries till they become like creeks and people living there. No roads to get there. you have to go by by the rivers in smaller and smaller boats until you 're in a canoe, basically paddling um, or with these long shafted motors that can skim the the water because the water 's got too too shallow, and so it would take so long so we go by plane, and, and uh, now this is the Matseys. They were uh, right after the contact in 1969. They were uncontacted people. They they killed outsiders. They raided, and they 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 kidnapped women and children. And the government was beside themselves and contacted Wycliffe to try to make peaceful contact. Well, Wycliffe wanted to make peaceful contact with them, and um, this is Harriet. Uh, who's now with the Lord and, and her co workers also with the Lord and uh, the two of them hung out six years off and on in the jungles imagine, single women I think they were in their 40s at that time and uh, trying to make contact and would go back and forth to Pukalpa and, and hang out in the jungle and explore and try to make peaceful contact with this tribe who killed outsiders she had learned a little of their language and uh, from a one of the women who was stolen, who learned their language, who escaped, and then they found each other, and she learned and so um she had some kid come from the Wickliffe base and with a machete, and they uh, i guess they they saw the huts from the air, the pilots, and they cut the path with the machete and she went her partner didn't go she stayed at the base camp there like right there and and um they she was surrounded with Spears and and uh, and she said, she, she spoke their language some, and she said, it, we would like to come and live amongst you, and if you would build us a house, we'll come back and live amongst you. And so they really wanted to have contact, but they were afraid to have contact. They were tired of living the way they were, and uh, because they lived in fear, they lived in fear of 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 killing and and spe- fear of the evil spirits and. If if twin babies were born, that was a bad omen, and so they killed the babies. and And they they um, would the men would burn the women with hot coals or hot sticks if to get them to do what they wanted. and And so they lived. They they it wasn't like the idyllic life of the Garden of Eden, like the anthropologists try to make us believe. But uh, so they wanted they and now. Even the the non-believers say now, before we didn't live well. Now They learned other ways. Meanwhile, the the good part about their culture is being preserved. Their language is being preserved. So um, she needed to retire uh, in in 99. And she she didn't think the people were were ready to be left on their own. And um, basically, the man on the right got to know her and she invited him and he didn't want to go by himself and then he invited me and she invited all of us and on the left Tom, he became part of our team, he used to live in the same uh, missionary base, the Wycliffe Center he used to live there and he had come back to the states so in 99 we went out to the Matzés for the first time and that's why we got started in Peru I told the guy on the right I said I'll just go with you the first time but then, uh, and then now, I've, that is the main, this is the main place we go now. And uh, so, um, th- like I say, there's no roads, there's no, there's no commerce, um, almost none. And so they hunt and they fish and they have gardens. And um, the first year we went, there was, uh, they, she wanted us to teach about baptism. Because there were churches, there were, but they didn't know hardly anything. And, and so they called them singing houses, is what they called them. And so we taught about baptism and how to, how to interview the people so as to know who should be baptized and, and, what, and that, and how to orient them and how to teach about baptism. And then they baptized. And that one woman on the left, she was a stolen woman, and she, she got baptized. Um, so this is like flying to the airstrip there. And uh, there's uh, not too many airstrips, but you fly to an airstrip and then you get into a boat, usually. And uh, we are, I think, taking off on the return, lifting off in, in the jungle there, and then getting into this boat and going down the river to, to a village and uh, the, we we agreed to hold training conferences two times a year in our team. And so, uh, so we did. And the pastors, at first there were like 30 or 40 and, not, and then there became about 80 pastors and then they invited their leaders and that and from about 20 churches. Um, and so they would come. Now that's that long shafted propeller because that's a very narrow waterway. You can see like the kind of a dugout canoe and then they've got that long shaft kind of skims the water because you can 't just put a a motor into the water there and um, so this is the training training conferences that uh, the, with the mat um, and we we did it twice a year for about eight years, and then I skipped a year or two here and there and my last one was in two thousand eighteen um, and they they 've been they 've held some of their own conferences, and they also formed a missions team that reached out to the villages in in brazil and um, and so churches have been planted on Brazil and they basically had never even heard the name of jesus and and they uh, brazil the the government really restricts outsiders going there, but they could go be, uh, and they spoke their language and and at first the chiefs didn't want them to hear, but they persisted over about six years and finally there was a response and now now there's uh well established churches on the Brazil side. And uh so this is the largest congregation that I know of in Puerto Alegre. Um uh, there in the Marseille village, one of the largest Matese villages, that's a congregation. And and we have a missionary now, Casey, and he's married to a Brazilian julie and he's carrying on the work in the jungles and we're making him um, director of jungle missions so that's another thing to pray and he's got vast admissions experience he's a long-term missionary experience with jungle missions and he wanted to diversify and not he took over the Matses work but he wants to work with um, other tribes as well so we currently work with four tribes the Matses, the Yaminawas, the yora and the Shipibos. And he's, uh, he hasn't gone to the Yamis yet, but he's go- he've, he has worked with the other tribes. He's gotten to know all of our co-workers from before. And, uh, and he's, he's now, he's teaching uh, the younger generation. He's got a seminary that he takes out to Matzay's land. And um, this is, these are his students that he teaches. He's about to graduate his first class. And I want to make one more trip to the Matzay's. I do. I'd like to go this June. Um, it could take one person. I've had people turn me down. Uh, but um, the ones who have gone with me, it's been, <laughs> despite the insects and uh, the heat, it's been an uh, incredibly profound experience. Well, um, to get to the Mat uh, we had to pass through Lima, and we got to know especially this one pastor and I would teach in this church, and he introduced me to other churches, and he wanted us to do a conference, so we did and, and, um, in 2002. And that led to other conferences doing, like, on the attributes of God, the power of the gospel, the, the church, sanctification, and, and other, other topics, and the book of John, and uh, the book of 1 John. And we'd take books by Spurgeon and... Uh, and John Owen and and uh um packer and RC Sproul and, and a host of other authors pink and and in spanish and um and all through these years we did mission teams this is the largest one we have 59 people now i don't do mission teams like this anymore it's just too stressful it's an exciting stress but i'm, it's, I'm just, i can't take that kind of stress anymore I imagine all the luggage pieces that come with that, and, and they all come over, what do we do? And so all the activities got. But if if people want to come, just to come on a vision trip, come without the expectation of a choreographed mission team, you'll still be able to serve. You'll get to know the people. You'll see things you've never seen before, and just let me know if you'd like to come. Uh, I expect to go to Uganda one more time in... February and I'm going to keep going to Peru in fact I believe the Lord's called us to narrow our focus and concentrate on Peru and I believe the work can spread organically into into South America because Casey already has contacts in South America that's where God is really blessing the work and and raising up native missionaries that are really doing the way surpassing my expectations and so it's I believe God takes the lead in missions or in ministry and we follow him and he takes the initiative and so he really is leading and so if we, come, if we follow along with God it bears tremendous fruit but if we just try to do something and then ask God to bless it or or just through the sheer strength of our will try to make something happen. It just comes to nothing. So to pray and see what God is doing and then go there and and be involved with that. And so um, anyway, so these little mission teams and buses and all kinds of activities. Mm, There we go. Yeah, uh, medical clinics and... uh, Work projects of all kinds uh, so in twenty seventeen um, we were able to buy this property this this was there was a giant Wycliffe base up to five hundred people It was like a missionary vi- uh village uh on the on the shores of this giant lake in Peru, not far from here, and then they've completed most of the languages. So when they got to just a tiny amount of languages left, they came to this center. And now there's only like two projects left, and now they've even left this center. So this center became available. used to be, those are two houses where uh, linguists used to live. And then this is the, uh, it used to be where they did their tra- all these little offices, and they did their translation work, so we were able to buy it god provided the money i couldn't believe it how quickly it happened and uh i mean there was one person that saw our website and sent seventy five hundred dollars and um and then and then uh i went to a church and they didn't let me give a full presentation but they just let me stand up and give like a five or ten minute report so i did and i said oh and we have a vision to buy a property to establish a mission base where we can come cuz I wanted to come down and stay for weeks and weeks and and so so he came up and I he had been on our mission team but it, it wasn't someone I really know and he gives my wife a check says this is for your mission and for uh, for um for your vision of having a center and it was $10,000 and then it in short time the money was raised and so I was I was surprised I mean I shouldn't be surprised but uh, God did it, because, uh, I mean, I've had a harder time raising $200 than I did in some ways, but it, but it happened. And so that place there is a um, training center, and then we have two dormitories, and we have outdoor, um, Which city? outdoor rest. What's, it's in Pucapa, the jungle, jungle city. Yeah. And so um, we established um, Mission CPI, Mission CPI, and the reason I, we established, because I didn't know how to, I didn't want to be the owner. I, I just w- didn't want and just some Peruvian coworker to be the owner. Because what then happens, I always think long-term. I think generationally. I said, what's going to happen after them? Their kids are going to inherit them what, and we don't know. And so we established this or, Peruvian organization based upon CPI U.S., but it has Peruvian board directors, and I'm about to get off the board, and my wife is on the board, and it's got uh, four Peruvian directors right now. And so anyway, so it's a separate entity, legal entity in Peru. But then it's it was, now it's taken a life on, of its own, and there's all these people related to Mision CPI. They got their Facebook page. They're opening a bank account. They're going to try to receive donations, which, in, <laughs> blesses me if they can get donations from someplace else besides us. And uh, so that would be great. And so uh, uh, the potential is immense. There's, um, so then we established the Word of Grace Bible Institute. I've always, the Word of Faith is real big in, in these places The so faith teaching, name it and claim it and, and confess it into existence and and the prosperity teaching. And, and so I think it's a, it's a tremendous does so much harm, and uh, and and and, and, and uh, undermines the gospel. So we instead of calling we called this word of grace instead of word of faith, and so uh, we have mainly Shipibo's, but we've had Yora and Yaminawas, and other and one other tribe come and study with us, and we had well we'll have twenty five students usually, and so the first eleven of them, they. Um, those are our teachers. We have like six teachers. I'm one of them. So they have sessions when I'm not there. And then when I go, I teach as well. And so um, we had a graduation in 2022 after I was here in June of 2022, went to Peru. And we, um, we had the first graduation. They wanted caps and gowns. I said, I'm not going to pay for caps and gowns. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm said i flying in teachers from Lima and, and were providing all this food and um, and we had two, uh, t- uh, a week of review of the classes and all the food that was provided and they, and then they said, that's okay, we'll pay for our own caps and gowns. And so they did. I wanted them to dress up in their Shipibo traditional outfits, but no, they wanted caps and gowns. So anyway, they have 10, uh, 12, 12 classes and um, It's about 20 hours a week, 20 hours for one class, and uh, they've had 12 of them. So this is their, come on, a little bit of their, maybe we keep the volume loud, loud, yeah, yeah, just maybe keep it there. This is them doing that, and... um, her graduation. And uh, then now, so uh, phenomenon. One of our classes is on the Christian family. We taught on marriage and just basically what marriage is. It's, it's, a, uh, it's an exclusive relationship to care and between a man and a woman, for, for, uh, uh, an unbreakable commitment for the rest of their lives, a promise that you make before God and before the other person until one of the pe- person dies and it's, a, it's a, for the rest of your life. And so we teach on that and out of Matthew 19. And so they were kind of sitting in the back. He's the son of like our coordinator and uh, they were together, but they had never, and so he wanted to do it. And so uh, this has been common and we get so many requests for teaching on marriage. And what marriage is. And, and they, they don't, the people now, the, the, their older traditions have gone by the wayside. They just start living together and they don't even know that it's a, what it is, what, what the covenant of marriage is. So they wanted to be married. And I said, Well, we're here. And so the last day of classes, they come in. And, um, and there's been over 40 in Peru that have done this. And um, I can't believe how common it is, and they want they just want to honor God with their relationships they want to obey the Lord, and so they come and they say vows in spanish yeah and so uh we just we did one this is twenty twenty two but we did one on my last trip twenty twenty three we did one um so Casey takes the training out to distant Shipibo. now Shipibo's are on the big river, but he goes. Way far away downstream, it would take 20 hours to get there. By the normal boat, by the speed boat, it's six hours just to get to this place. And so he conducts training there. These are his students. And there's different. So in the Amazon, amongst the Shipivos, there's all these villages, and some of them have no churches. And some of them have churches, but they just teach legalism. Legalism and uh, they tell the women not to wear jewelry, and you and you um, the men to wear long sleeves to go to church, and things like that. And that's their message. And so, so our students are going out and teaching, teaching grace and Christ alone, and faith alone, and what that means. And so, there's and there's and in the unchurched communities, there's all these churches being planted and our students have gone forth and um in and in ministry we've got a new crop of students now and um this i don't think i'm going to this is a, an example of the of the church planning but um maybe just a st- snatch of it i think but i showed this before yeah well anyway How many of you remember this from last time? Anybody? You do? Yeah, very few. Well, it's about two and a half minutes. So this, this is a community, a good example, had no churches, the people just living in darkness. And one of our students went back, he grew up there and he went back to live there. Stayed with the people. That's what you got to do. You just can't go and preach. No do you... Doleful. And one is Christ, so they didn't want a church there at first because they. Would drink and they were afraid they wouldn't be able to drink anymore if there was a church there. And there was a flourishing church when we went, and couples wanted to get married. Couples wanted to get married, and they even got married in the civil. Some of them, and they got now here they get dressed up in their traditional outfits. There was a baptism, well, all right. Well, so I'm gonna go on for time. Different church plants, different villages. This guy goes from village to village helping and leaders and then he invites them to be trained. And, and uh, so he, he's in all these villages, different church plants there and helping with, they get it up to the roof and we get building materials like uh, the roofing called calaminas or laminas their metal roofing, which is the most expensive part. Yeah, the Yora, completely unreached. I won't tell this too much to tell. So the Yora, um, well, I guess I'm telling a little bit of it, but they, the Peruvian government prohibited outsiders going to where they are, for some reason them. They're no more isolated than the says, But So we couldn't go, so we, along with Wycliffe, helped to bring them to us and we had uh, six um, conferences usually lasting about a week where we taught them the gospel through telling stories and that and um, and they had hardly heard anything about Jesus at all and uh, basically either no Christians or maybe one or two amongst them and um, we would tell about baptism but we didn't try to push them into being baptized well uh, On the sixth year, the last conference, they um, they, there were different ones that wanted to be baptized. Whoops, and uh, and so they were, and these were the ones that were baptized, and uh, the first ones that were baptized. All right, yeah, keep the volume loud. Yeah, so he's giving his testimony. Yeah, I'm being baptized. All right. So, and then then they have started a group in their village, and supposed to be building their church. But there's communication has been hard. Now it's okay to go and and. But I don't think I'm going to go. But but our coworkers have gone to to visit them, and uh, so you can pray for the Yura, Um that because uh basically there's nobody qualified to be a leader there but there still are leaders but what do you do you, you, they can't depend on people coming from the outside to hold services so we try to teach them to meet simply sing pray read portions they only have portions of the new testament that's all they have so read the read the word pray and sing so and then um this is a CPI base in uh, Lima and, and there and uh, when it was dedicated, 2020, and we've been holding retreats. So now I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the future, the succession, the, um, the uh, building for the future the CPI after Christy and I. And so I've been trying to get the, peop- the workers from the jungle, workers from the capital together so they can know each other because they're really part of the same mission. And so um, we've held like three retreats, uh, two in Lima and one in Pucalpa, where 11 of them went to uh, Pucalpa. And these are some of the retreats at that mission center in, in Lima, which has about 11 million people. And they stay there and we eat together and they sleep there and, and that. And, and there's church planting going on in Lima, uh, church plants. There's a lot of churches in Lima, but very hardly any with good sound doctrine of the gospel. All right, so um yeah. Uganda. I'll be going to Uganda, Lord willing, in February. Just about to buy tickets. I dread the journey, but um but I wanna go. I'm I'm gonna go. Once I'm there I love it, but it's so long. It's a hard journey. So anyway, um uh we did we've done a lot of leadership training and um, some books. And sponsoring uh, leaders, potential leaders, for Bible training in uh, schools over there, Bible schools over there, and seminaries. And um, he's a church planter. We work in about four areas. And um, he planted a church there, and then that, then there was a daughter church. It's now bigger than that church. That's the beginning of the daughter church. These are areas that had no churches at all in Uganda, and um, they built that. Uh, that building out of metal, which is the cheapest way to build. And we help with stuff like that. Uh, This is Pastor Isaac in West Uganda. He's one of our main co-workers. And this is his church and um, Bread of Life Church. English is their national language, but not their first language because their first language is a tribal language. English is what unites the whole country because it was a British colony. And uh, that's his church. We've helped out with in different ways with the church plants, like with this with this construction, uh, kind of an intermediate way of building that's not the most expensive but not the cheapest either, but a pretty reasonable way to build. And um, this is the cheaper way to build, but it's got a metal roof, and it's out in some very remote area. This is the foothills of the mountains on the border of Congo, and places, little places tucked away that are... Hidden from people, forgotten by most everyone, but God is not. God is remembering them, and um, this is Katumba, and uh, this is one that we'd like to help with. (laughs) It's Bugando, and they have no. This is a church there, and this is their beginnings there, and some of the congregation there. And I guess it would cost about four or five thousand dollars to get them a church building. And then when we went in 2014, uh, there was a Christian school called God's Mercy. And that was the first thing we did was provide school lunches because they, they were coming with no, no breakfast and they could hardly concentrate. And so this is like typical kids with rags and maybe they don't have anything to replace it. And so actually we've gotten involved with all this humanitarian work, this typical house of reeds, and thatch, and and that, and uh, where they live, there. And so this is the um, breakfast: uh, beans and corn, maize, uh, corn and beans. And uh, this is the old school, God's Mercy School, and a school classroom, and another classroom, and some of the children. When we first visited, how are you? Yeah. Can you wave to the people? Yes. Okay. God bless you. And now uh, we received some very large grants, um, and we were able to build this. Uh, so that that came, and we were able to accomplish that that school uh, building that's got ten classrooms. Um, so we've done a lot of humanitarian work. Um, as a matter of fact, when COVID hit, there was so much hunger and starvation um, and uh, people sleeping on the dirt floor and banana leaves and she had triplets and and then uh, getting some bedding and that. Um, and and we've had some famines uh, recently. They were living on the edge before, but now with what's going on here, it's all over the world, just inflation and rising prices, and lack of food supply, and it's horrible, and um, it's affecting these people. So in the West where we work, it was drought, and we were, we were able to help by sending food. And then in the East, but we're not a relief organization. But we find ourselves doing relief work. But we're still involved with the church planning. But, but these are people, these are not just faceless people. These are people in the churches that we've worked with. And so I can't turn away from them. And it makes me feel bad because the need is so much greater than what we can do. So here's an example. So in this, in this place, places in the east. And there, they got such rains that all their gardens, they're, they're, they're subsistence farmers. So the, all their gardens got washed away. So they, they eat the food from their garden, but they sell some of, the, some of their produce and for money to buy food. So they, I got this, this message from our close coworker. worker He said, um, some of my church members... I just wanted to tell you, some of my church members and um, are pr- orphans, and there's a problem with food. They can't afford to buy a single meals. Their gardens that they used to get food were washed away by heavy rainfall last night. They are crying for help. They don't have food to eat. We, they need your prayers. I did not want to tell you about this because I know you have a lot of requests, but these people have made me write to you. These people are really starving. They're lacking what to eat. And then I began to hear about people that committed suicide because they couldn't help their families, and and that. And so, we gave money, and then it was gone. And so I said, "How can it be gone so quickly?" Well, there's everybody. You know, they all need food. I said, uh, "You give little bits to too many people. You Give more to fewer." To really help them, because in three days they'll be right back where they were before. So we said, how many in your church, how many just in the church have no food at all, have no hope of getting food? Not the ones who have a little, but the ones who have nothing. And he said, 17 families. And so he counted up 17 families. I said, what can we give them that would be less expensive? So he he said, there's a garden that has yucca. See, that's the yucca there. That's manioc or cassava. It's just a root. And he supplemented it with beans. So he bought from the guy in another place where where they didn't have the the rains, or they had rains, but it didn't wash his garden out, but it did in this one village where there's this church plant. So he goes there, that sells it to the city market or the town market, and buys directly from him at great prices, and then buys like pinto beans. And so we've been, now we've sent eight times, and... um, this is their garden, one of their gardens. I said, when were their gardens? They were supposed to be producing food again by the end of August. Well, it's going to be the end of September. So I said, send me pictures because this has been going on a long time. And like I say, we're not a relief organization, but sometimes you just can't, the, you can't just preach the gospel and just ignore stuff like this. So sweet potatoes, and they have other things that they grow as well, corn, and I forget what, some kind of a, like a wheat grain type of product, and, uh, and then the, uh, the, the cassava as well, the, the yuca. So it looks like they'll be ready then at the end of um, September. And so, uh, well, here's Uganda. You've, some of you have seen this. fact, I probably ought not to show it. sorry, just too much time. Uh, this is Myanmar. Um, we work a little in Myanmar through this guy and uh, named Abraham and this is like his church service in Myanmar in Asia Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims. and um, now getting towards the end here, this is our most recent trip, and uh, please pray for the succession of CPI I don't plan to retire until I go to be with the Lord or I absolutely can't but I do want to delegate and I I still want to I'll, I'll be part of the casting the vision and still kind of be the president of CPI but I'd like it to be run by others and the ones that are taken in there's my daughter there, are um, second to the left and that's my granddaughter Mariah, my son-in-law uh Preston, and he's involved as well on a volunteer basis. My daughter is really administrative. My son on the far right, Matthew, he's he was suggested, and I thought, Matthew, he's like he's the baby of the family, Matthew. And but Sarah was saying on the left there, she's saying, Yeah, Matthew, he'd be the one. And and so He's just, he lacks experience. That's why I reacted that way. But he's on fire for God, and he wants to do something with his life. And so I've been training him every week, most weeks. And uh, he's going to start part-time in the first of the year. And uh, so pray for Matthew. Pray for the succession of CPI. Also, Casey, our missionary, figures into this because he he really can do it, but, but we need to run the home office. So we're running the home office just fine, but at some point we won't be running the home office. And so at the bare minimum, we need the home office to be run accounting, uh, administration reports, um, and some technology media and that. And so that's kind of what we need. And, um, and then uh, Matthew's more involved with uh, with Peru. He knows the people in Peru, and you know, and he's been to Mexico and the relationships. And he's he loves missions and going down there. And so we went down there, um, and we brought the people from Lima, and they did their own short term mission team. There were eleven of them, five of us from the states, and some local people, and we went out on mission. But this is our. I will show you this. Um, this little clip of our, our most recent trip I don't know whether you can read all that but students from three tribes at the this was before my family came before they came. I was there for like five weeks. Shipibos, there they are. Matthew. How old is he? He's 29, 29. So we did a, this was all designed so they could really get to know our coworkers did a conference in Lima. Then we went out to this church plant, meet under a shade, and then uh, we went around and showed them in the jungle city and and took a trip. That was a piece of land where they wanted to start a church. And then we, we went to a faraway village and then so my family got the minister in this village and then the people from Lima came and they were welcomed and they stayed at our center and we went to Two communities, two Shipibo communities on the big river and people from Lima don't really have a missionary vision but now this church has one and they, they have a missions fund now they don't usually because they're, they have so many of their own needs yeah the typical mission team type stuff We did an outreach in this community. And then we did a retreat, two-day retreat. And Matthew got to preach, he went on for 45 minutes. I was amazed how long it went. First time he preached the folding the men's and women's groups, and there's Sarah with the women. Another wedding. Another wedding. I mean, they come to us wanting to do it, and so we included it in our retreat. Inexpensive. Cake and some flowers, pictures. This is the last, and I just want to show you this. We work with um, about, I guess, almost 10 languages, I would say. So this is five of them, and just singing to the Lord in these five languages from different parts of the world. Maybe up the volume. Uh, That's it. about sixty jungle tribes just in Peru, nations within nations. These are Mats. Mexico. thank you so much for <clears throat> i know we went long but thanks for thanks for uh, having me here and, and and for listening and and uh, just ask for your prayers about elian in mexico and and this and new leadership and and that and uh also uh wanting to narrow our focus but we still work in uganda we're not going to just walk away from it but at the same time the resources we're using in Uganda, I'm thinking long-term is, I don't see how sustainable it's gonna be. Because, so we wanna narrow our focus. But and So I wanna make one more trip, but I wanna keep going back to Peru, Mexico. We still need to stay in that village work there for a while until there's a pastor. And then Peru can expand all over the place just organically to all these villages. In the Amazon, that's just one country, 60 tribes there, and not counting uh, Colombia and Venezuela and and, and, uh, uh, Bolivia and and, uh, Ecuador and Brazil. Just hundreds and thousands of villages that don't have churches that, that are there. People are very receptive. So thank you very much.